0: Hello and welcome to the Spine and Nerve Podcast. My name is Dr. Brian Hoves.
1: And I'm Dr. Raman Gurai. And today we're gonna to do an introductory
0: uh, discussion on neuromodulation. Uh, neuromodulation being something that I think a lot of uh, people in the pain and spine world uh, understand kind of quite well. But uh, it's a word that probably a lot of people haven't heard of before. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, Dr. G, you wanna kind of introduce neuromodulation and kind of what exactly that is for us?
1: Sure, so neuromodulation uh, might for our patients to be better known as, for those of you that are listening, spinal cord stimulation, that's another name um, by which it goes, and, and the idea of, of neuromodulation goes back uh, several decades. First, uh, I guess, the physician, you could say that was credited with um, an implantable uh, type of neuromodulation devices back in the 60s, at, uh, uh, Dr. Norman Shealy, uh, but the idea behind neuromodulation is this: it's exactly what the, the word kind of says. Um, um, neuro nerves and modulation, trying to trying to modulate or alter the perception of what those nerves um, are sending the signals, uh, alter the perception of those signals that they're sending towards the brain. I should say, uh, the concept uh, that I, I use or the analogy that I use to describe the patients is: imagine when you, we've all had kids, nephews, nieces, granddaughters, grand what, what have you, grandkids. Um, they smack their elbow on the door, and you go and and you go to, and you rub that arm. And, and why does that feel? Why does? Why do we think that feels better? Well, there's a reason for it, and the, and the idea behind it is uh, goes back to something called the gate control theory of pain. And, and essentially, um, the fibers that are sending the pain signals to the brain that's saying, "Hey, I, I just smacked my elbow against the door, and it really hurts." Um, those can be kind of um, inhibited or truncated by the the other types of um, sensory fibers we have we have a a lot of different types of fibers that send signals pain and temperature um, mechanical stimulation tactile stimulation so rubbing so that when you go to rub that arm those sense those sensory um, nerves they get kind of block the signal from the pain fibers. Um, and there's a theory uh, and, and that we I just mentioned, the gate control theory of pain, and that's what that is in essentially in a nutshell. And so what neuromodulation or spinal cord stimulation is trying to do is take advantage of that theory. So um, we, what the, uh, the concept behind it is, well, we've always been intrigued as physicians of, of using electrical impulses in the human body for like a therapeutic purpose. So uh, what somebody did was they actually took the idea behind, the technology behind a, a spinal cord stimulator, That's, or excuse me, a, uh, a pacemaker. They take the battery and the wire and the leads and say, well, let me, let me tinker with this and alter it and see if I can't make this into a spinal cord stimulator. Meaning, those wires now, instead of being implanted in the heart, let me put them right above the spinal cord in the epidural space. That's the space around the spinal cord, the epidural space. And let me let me park them right there above the spinal cord and then send electrical um, signals to the spinal cord through those leads that have little contacts on them and they send signals in a short distance to kind of soothe the spinal cord uh, not unlike the analogy I gave of, of a parent soothing their child by rubbing their arm and what that does is it, it disrupts the uh, signal going from the lower uh, or extremities or arms or what uh, painful area of the body to the brain and replaces it with a, a different sensation and you might feel uh, with, this, with the neuromodulation you might feel Tingling or a little vibration, but something different than the mm. unpleasant sensory stimulus that we were originally feeling, so um, that's kind of the history in the, in, in the, yeah. the, the the nutshell the the story
0: of how i think it was the first one um i I could be a little off on this, but when uh, I was visiting one of the uh the large manufacturers of these devices, they tell the story about. Uh, how there was this patient that was uh, in, in the ICU, in mm-hmm. intractable pain, and mm-hmm. that was kind of the first w- patient that they decided, okay, we have this theory, we have this idea that if we can use uh, electrical stimulus, mm-hmm. maybe we can uh, help to control this patient's pain. So they're in the ICU, mm-hmm. they put, you know, essentially an electrical wire, right, this is the 60s, the technology is nowhere near what mm-hmm. we're looking at today. Mm-hmm. And they just essentially put electrical wire t- hooked up to an external generator, in the person's spine, wow. uh, and are able to at least control the pain a little bit. Um, you know, and obviously, you know, now looking back, fifty years later, uh, the idea of just taking a wire attached an external generator in someone's yeah. spine—that sounds, you know, archaic and barbaric. But that was kind of how it all started. It Gotta start
1: somewhere. Exactly. A right? lot of medicine says. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Looking back fifty years is always troubling. I yeah. think when you when you're in medicine, but that was, you know, they, that happened. Uh, it worked. And I think you know they were at least um, saw enough to be able to kind of keep pushing mm-hmm. forward, right? And of course, a lot of it was waiting for technology to be able to catch to up. catch up and to sure. be able to allow for things, right? It wasn't until I believe the '90s that we actually had uh, implantable pulse generators. And a, a, a pulse generator being that generator that we were talking about uh, that was external and think about you know a car battery or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. They weren't actually having the amount of. Uh, technology to use those things until I think it was the 90s until we started having that right and so it's it's a very short amount of time realistically that we've actually had what we now know today as spinal cord stimulation
1: yeah and and so the technology that you're talking about as we know we already mentioned the that hey listen this technology is like a pacemaker that was kind of rigged to become a spinal cord stimulator but now we use it for all kinds of different this the, the, the stimulation electri- electrical impulses D- deep brain, uh, deep brain stimulation. Mm-hmm. Here for urinary bladders. Mm-hmm. We have stimulators for, um, and and a, a slew of other um, applications. Yeah. So the technology is not exclusive to spinal cord stimulations yeah. and neuropathic pain. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's just what how we reference it because that's what we most likely do. Yeah, but you're correct. Yeah. Right. Deep brain stimulation, uh, bladders for bowel and bladder incontinence. Uh, I believe there is a device for uh, obstructive sleep apnea at this point. Mm. Um, vagal nerve stimulators mm-hmm. uh, for seizures. I mean, there are a number of devices that uh, utilize neuromodulation, right? And like you said, it's uh, you know interfacing with the nerves to change something. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think this is awesome. Like, I I love technology. Obviously, I love what we do and being able to help our patients and the the ability to kind of utilize technology and, and watch it advance, right? Because, and pair it
1: with healthcare. Exactly, yeah. right? I
0: mean, and and it's and it's fun because similar to the way that technology is advanced and you know, in a 2019 world, I think it's, we're very jaded in understanding, okay, well the iPhone's only been around for 12 years or something along those mm-hmm. lines, right? Like, it feels like it's been a part of our life forever. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the amount of technology from iPhone one to whatever the iPhone Pro X, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, is called now, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that that those leaps in technology are astounding. Mm-hmm. Uh, and similarly, when you're utilizing technology to be able to make a change on the body, those leaps are similarly uh, just kind of it's very, very significant every few years, and mm-hmm. I think I think that's really an exciting thing, you know. And as far as our field's concerned, and you know, Wes, we're kind of thinking about neuromodulation. It really made it took a turn in the mid two thousands, right? Two thousand five, two thousand six, mm-hmm. um, the big seminal study that kind of differentiated uh, spinal cord stimulation as a truly viable treatment for. Post-laminectomy syndrome, um, which is somebody's had a back surgery, it helped for some time, uh, and then for whatever reason the pain came back in the same pattern of having these nerves that are you know still sending painful signals. Mm-hmm. You know, for a long time the th- classic thought was like, well, these patients probably just need another surgery, right? Mm-hmm. And so in uh, the mid 2000s, uh, Dr. Richard North published a study that looked at reoperation versus implanting a spinal cord stimulator. Uh, and this was the first study that actually put them head to head in a randomized uh, control study. You can't be double-blinded, obviously, because you're gonna know <laughs> if you have a stimulator or if you had surgery. Um, but, and actually saw that in, uh, in the outcomes were at least as good in spinal cord stimulation, if not better, at the 12 and 24 month marks. And that was kind of the first wave of saying, okay, this really is a viable the uh, sure. therapy for our patients. Mm-hmm you know and then you know I go back to that was 2005 which means that you know you started recruiting patients probably in 2001 2002 Mm -hmm. we've come almost two decades worth of technology in that time like what these devices now are capable of doing Mm -hmm. uh, compared to what they were utilizing for that study is Mm -hmm. is so impressive and we're able to help so many more patients than we ever used to think that we could
1: especially now that you have a direction yeah you know, that was experimental in, in 2005 2006 and now when when the, tech, when the market has a, a, a direction um, it makes the uh, the progress a lot more um uh feasible and uh, advances a lot faster in that sense so what are what are some of your so you kind of touched on it uh, um in terms of spinal cord stimulation the applications do you want to talk about uh some of your favorite type of patient the indications originally Neuropathic pain, mm-hmm. but since, then, as you know, the axial yeah. back neck came into play for post-laminectomy patients. But you, you want to talk about?
0: Yeah, well, we'll start with the, yeah, the, maybe the classic indications. Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think the the two things that um, very few people would argue at this day and time uh, for the application of um, spinal cord stimulation or you know neuromodulation in our pain management realm um, are. Complex regional pain syndrome mm-hmm. uh, and post laminectomy syndrome. That's been what's been studied for you know at least 30 years at this point uh, in terms of seeing this technology being very impactful for these patients. And so, like you brought up, chronic neuropathic pain, pain that hasn't responded uh, to other ways of being able to treat it. Um, you know, spinal cord stimulation was you know for a long time a last line of defense for a lot of these patients that just had this very refractory chronic neuropathic pain, mm-hmm. and since that study that Dr. North did 15 years ago, now we've kind of seen it slowly but steadily move up in the treatment algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. No, you know, less and less being the absolute last line of defense. Mm-hmm. You know, we have I think progressed from you know completely thinking about it as complex regional pain syndrome or post-laminectomy syndrome uh, to now thinking of other neuropathic pain processes, and then slowly over time, looking especially as the technology is advanced, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, we've We'll not going to dive too deep into a lot of the specific uh, technology advances, but you know it's an electrical wave. Electrical waves have amplitudes and durations and pulse widths and uh, frequencies, and a lot of those things have changed over time uh, mm-hmm. to be able to allow these waveforms uh, to be very different. And we found that the waveform can impact things for patients. Mm-hmm. And so as those uh, evolutions have taken place, we've noticed that there are specific waveforms that can help with uh, different types of pain patterns mm-hmm. that we can kind of have a much larger uh, catchment of patients than we originally thought for that were would be uh, amenable to this therapy mm-hmm. um, and so you know uh, all disclosures being I you know I do clinical research uh, for uh, two of the publicly traded uh, companies I speak for two of the other publicly traded companies I'm well entrenched in the neur- neuromodulation world uh, But I, you know, and so staying on label would be chronic neuropathic pain. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, we see this in patients that are, you know, sometimes non-surgical candidates uh, or, you know, where they've seen a surgeon, they say, yeah, you could go through this very large um, decompression infusion. Mm -hmm. Um, And the patient's like, I don't really want to do that. Mm -hmm. Are there other options? Uh, I've definitely seen a lot of patients that have responded well to spinal cord stimulation in that setting, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, now we're looking at very focal types of neuropathic pain that have started to respond uh, to different types of neuromodulation. Um, you know, and, and kind of, we're je- we've mostly stayed talking about spinal cord stimulation, but, you know, neuromodulation in the pain world, you know, there is also peripheral nerve stimulation where you can actually put an a, a electrical mm-hmm. wire directly next to a target nerve. Um, and so, I'd say historically people thought about this for Things like ilioinguinal neuralgia, right. um, uh, cluneal neuralgia has been something that I, I know a lot of people have have talked about over the past few years, mm-hmm. and those are have been amenable to peripheral neuro, uh, peripheral nerve stims. Stimulation, yeah. Um But you know now we have dorsal ganglion stimulation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then there are some of the companies that are uh, tar- targeting kind of peripheral field stimulation, where you just kind of find the painful area and you utilize electricity to stimulate that area to be able to treat the pain. And Mm -hmm. and so it's definitely branched out pretty significantly.
1: Yeah, and and I think you brought up a great point. Traditionally, you you touched on a great point when you said it's kind of the application of neuromodulation is kind of shifting from as a last line of defense to uh, uh, maybe somewhere in between uh, as an alternative for surgical intervention. And just to recap for the patients, I always say there's three broad strokes of treatment and there's typically, the con- you always start with the conservative route. That's mm-hmm. your therapies, your massages, chiropractic, acupuncture. We'll have you, oral medications, topicals, and then in our world you move on to injections, and the final step is surgery. And so, post laminectomy syndrome. For those you don't know, that's uh, laminectomy is a type of surgical procedure by which they, uh, in which they take out pieces of bone and ligament, what, what have you, to open up some space around the nerves. And there's all types, types of different types of surgeries. Well, uh, a, a, a classic example of someone who would have been a great candidate for neuromodulation would have been someone who's been through the uh, gamut of those treatment processes but continued to have pain let's say going down the leg a sciatica pain. A tri- they had a sciatica, they went through the oral medications, they did therapy, didn't help, did injections, didn't help went through a surgery and unfortunately didn't help and the pain continued to go down the leg. So it's your chronic neuropathic pain, that's what we refer to when we're talking about that and we use that phrase chronic neuropathic pain. Well, then, that's where the concept of okay, let's put a spinal cord stimulator in there and try to disrupt the pain signals coming from that leg going into the brain. And what Dr. Hovis is saying now is, well, instead of a last line of defense, now maybe we can wedge it somewhere in between, at least between the injections and a surgical intervention. I uh, still, we, you know, I think we should make it clear it's not. I get these questions from patients; they do their own research and they come to me before, you know, they got sciatica and they haven't tried something simple like ibuprof. Yeah, sorry, excuse me, oral medications. And physical therapy or an injection i don't think that's where I would uh, put that treatment option. I would still go through the conservative measures I would even try injections and then at that point, um, maybe you can consider a sur- uh, maybe you can consider surgery versus um, neuromodulation. i'm still am in favor of um, surgery in, su- in certain cases yeah. there's what I think personally I think there's an obvious fix to it and based on what I've spoken to my s- surgical colleagues about. But for some people, like you said, they're not surgical candidates, and that's where, for whatever reason—health issues, comorbidity, um, uh, comorbidities—and um, and maybe there's not a clear-cut um, pathology. Yeah. That's a, maybe that's where we can, instead of a surgical intervention, where hey, you know, there's a fifty-fifty chance of this working mm-hmm. uh, at best, then maybe neuromodulation is a great example uh, or a great uh, idea or um, attempt to try to relieve that pain. Why? Because what neuromodulation offers is, the beautiful part of it, there's a, a stimulation trial. Mm-hmm. And so the trial, um, you don't go straight to an implant where you go in and get surgery and it's implanted into your body like um, of, of most surgeries. Well, the trial period, that's what Dr. Hogan and I kind of uh, specialize in. We can do a trial where you, you get to walk around with this device and try it out for a period of five to seven days or what have you, ten days. Some people a little bit shorter, some people longer. Um, but you can actually try this therapy. Um, and see if it helps you. And then commit to the longer um, a longer implantation, the more invasive portion of it.
0: Yeah, yeah. and I, I, I always talk to patients about how that is probably one of the best things about this technology, yeah. right? We get to try it. There's so few things in medicine where you can test drive it before you actually go in for the purchase. Mm-hmm. And so to have that ability uh, is pretty remarkable. Mm-hmm. You know, One of the things that you touched on, I do wanna bring up because I think it was last year, maybe a, a couple years back, there was a point-counterpoint um, discussion on uh, spinal cord stimulation in particular uh, in one of the journals uh, that we where, where there was you know the points four were all the things that we 've touched on. And the point against uh, one of the things that uh, some of the things that were brought up were clear surgical candidates, right? Mm-hmm, and so, mm-hmm. yes, if somebody has instability in their spine, right? If there is, you know, one disc that's pushing on mm-hmm, a nerve and mm-hmm. it's a pretty straightforward uh, yeah. procedure, right? Yes, patient selection is of the utmost importance, yeah, right? Yeah, we consider that an obvious. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah exactly, Right, and so, yeah. And, and so, we want, you know, we definitely aren't. Trying to say that you know, to absolutely do this in, in in front of surgery, like I, what? Well, I that
1: stimulation is is a viable alternative to surgery, to surgery. in every situation. Exactly. No, it's definitely not. Exactly, there's clear cut surgical cases that yeah. I think we be, uh, we have to send to our colleagues absolutely. in the surgical field. Yeah,
0: absolutely. This is something where you know, like we have both said, you know, somebody who either has been through surgery then the surgery didn't work the way that we were hoping it would uh, or somebody who we're looking at it and you know then you are weighing the risks and benefits of all of the options on the table and you say look this looks like a lower risk option mm-hmm. that has the potential to provide this a similar benefit mm-hmm. you know let's go ahead and move it you know it was you know, in, in terms of that treatment algorithm that you were talking about, I think it was two years ago. Our big conference for neuromodulation uh, here in the states is called the North American Neuromodulation Society. Uh, they presented, I think, a couple of years ago, the first time of this shifting paradigm of mm-hmm. kind of bringing neuromodulation uh, in front of surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, and that in, in terms of people who do this, a lot of surgical colleagues are. Uh, appreciate these technologies and do these procedures and that that was a really controversial thing uh, to talk about and, you know but like Dr. Gray brought up I mean I, I do think that in certain cases uh, and especially as we're evaluating all of the risks and the comorbidities for patients there are a lot of patients that we're seeing that this is a viable option and is providing pretty significant relief for them.
1: Yeah and, and if I could go back and touch on something else that you talked about the, the indications you, you know you're talking about on-label um, I don't have any of those speaking <laughs> engagements or disclosures, so I can talk about some of the things that I uh, like to use it, use it for that are, are uh, not uh, unlabeled. But you said CRPS, your typical um, re- chronic radiculopathic pain. Uh, but more recently, people started, um, physicians and patients have agreed to start using it for things like axial, you know, meaning just, just low back pain, just neck pain um, and without the extremity pain. Mm-hmm. And that's been a little bit of a shift. I actually, you know, um, used to recently did a spinal cord stimulator trial that was extremely successful for a patient of mine who had a phantom limb pain and uh he this is a an unfortunate gentleman in his uh, mid forties but he was involved in a car accident or a truck accident uh, truck driving accident and uh it resulted in the uh, amputation of his left upper extremity below the shoulder they couldn't uh, unfortunately they couldn't salvage the extremity uh, despite their trying um and it left him with this sensation, he recalls that during the accident, he was gripping really tightly onto the steering wheel. Loader, uh, and, um, and unfortunately, after they amputated him, he started to develop that extreme gripping sensation to vice-like pain mm-hmm. in his hand, along with other uh, neuropathic properties in that, in that left arm. And so we tried the spinal cord stimulation trial for him, and he said, um, you know, it, it let up tremendously and he had over ninety percent relief of his symptoms in the mm-hmm. left upper extremity. So I mean those are indications uh, some of the ones that Dr. Hovis touched on and, and some of the off label indications. So uh and you know, the truth is medicine is a practice and sometimes we try these um These therapies, in this particular case, spinal cord stimulation. There's still indications out there. I'm sure that people haven't tried it for uh, that. It may be helpful for um, that. That are forthcoming. But um, those are some of the examples of what you can use this therapy for, and I think those are pretty pretty nice examples and good success stories. Yeah,
0: yeah, and you know, and, and the fun thing now is that you know, as we continue to push forward with this therapy, there's so there's so much research that's going on, right? And there's mm-hmm. so many people that are trying to figure out what else this technology is capable of, because like, like we brought up, we, we did have an idea of what we thought it was good for, mm-hmm. um, and then, but as technology has evolved, similar to everything else. I think everybody thought they knew what the internet was going to be in 1998. Yeah. Uh obviously it's much different, so different than than now, it yeah. is now. I mean we we're, we're now finding that there's so many other things. Yeah, that's you know, a good there's, point. there's a this a large uh peripheral neuropathy study that has uh, just finished enrolling and the early data has been very very good for that you know (laughs) and in in the past there have been studies that have looked at peripheral vascular disease uh, and you know different types of limb ischemia um, Mm -hmm. that have shown to be very impacted uh, by neuromodulation and so I mean I think it's I think it's just an amazing field to be a part of uh, really exciting times uh, for all of us uh, and you know hopefully a lot more to look forward to as things continue to evolve. Um, you know, uh, just to kind of close up the the circuit on neuromodulation, just want to bring up a couple other things that do sometimes fall into uh, the realm we've mm-hmm. mostly focused on. You know, spinal cord stimulation and the purely electrical uh, ways of being able to modulate those nerves. Mm-hmm. Uh, think other things that most people will put into um, the neuromodulation realm uh, would be other ways of affecting the nerves, sometimes with um, medications, neurolytic agents. Um, so. Pumps are sometimes brought into the neuromodulation uh, world, and so you know, baclofen pumps, pumps that uh, are utilized for pain management with different medications in those pumps, a pump that places the medicine directly into the intrathecal space where you can use, uh, you know, significantly, significantly less medications than you would require uh, if they were oral. Uh, and then one of the things that I sometimes think about is neuromodulation, which might not always be thought of that way, uh, is also things like radio frequency ablation, whether pulsed or thermal, um, but just as a way where we're actually acting on the nerves, um, you know, whether with uh, just pure electricity or with actually significant amounts of heat uh, to denervate that nerve. Um, but different ways of manipulating nerves so that we can hopefully
1: improve quality of life for our patients. Awesome, man. Anything else for in closing? No, I think that's a good. I think that's a good introduction to spinal cord stimulation or neuromodulation. And uh, we, what we'll hopefully do uh, for the audience is we'll we'll pick topics within this field and go into them more in depth in the upcoming uh, podcasts.
0: Awesome. All right, guys, you heard it. Stay tuned for us as we uh, dive deeper, and we'll catch you guys next time. Now for that legal disclaimer. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only. It is not meant to be medical advice. If anything discussed may pertain to you, please seek counsel with your healthcare provider. The views expressed are those of the individuals expressing them. They may not represent the views of Spinal Nerve Diagnostic Center.